questions. Today, what I want to do is I want to challenge us to continue to think outward, but not just global outreach. I know there's some missionaries in here today, and we are grateful for what the Lord continues to do through you globally. But I want you to look locally, and not only at our church, but I want to speak to you individually, that God has given the Great Commission, not just to full-time missionaries, but God has given the Great Commission to every single believer in Jesus Christ. And with every single believer, there is a different context from which he has called you to that mission. Some of you have more time. Others of you don't. Some of you have more physical ability. Others of you are battling illness. Some of you have more financial freedom and resources. Others of you don't. Some of you have various spiritual gifts that are up front. Other of you have gifts and skills that can be used behind the scenes. But every single believer has been given resources. And every church that's committed to the Great Commission has been given resources. And I've, I've entitled our message today, Spent Because We've Been Sent. Spent in quotation marks, because we've been sent. When I think of the word spent, I'm not just talking about spending money, though that's part of being spent. I'm talking about we as individuals being exhausted, exhausting ourselves for a mission, for a cause. When we think of spent, we might think of our favorite athletes. I have to confess a sin to you, okay? I think it's sinful that I know that when I'm tired and I, when I need motivation, I, look, I should look to Scripture. And this morning, I'm going to show you one of the passages that always motivates me. But before I get to Scripture, I always go to YouTube and I look up Kobe Bryant motivation speeches. <laughs> How he left it all on the court. I mean, he, he didn't save anything for reserve. He didn't do the Kawhi Leonard and take days off. Okay, he, he left everything on the court. And I think that's why even from a secular perspective, he's, we don't know what's up with him spiritually, but we know that people respect him, right? Why do we respect him? We respect Olympic athletes because when they compete, they train hard. Now, here's the thing. Athletes have skills. They have, whether they recognize it or not, they have God-given skills. They have natural abilities. Now, they could do one or two things. They could cruise it and roll into their competition just depending on their skills, or they can be stewards. And what it means to be a steward is not just to take what God has given you as natural abilities and just to perform, but to work hard and to train, and to sharpen and strengthen those skills so that you can be better for your mission. And for every athlete that we look up to, they're committed to one single goal, whether it's winning, whether it's competing to win a gold medal, and they give everything that they got. And the reason why we respect them and the reason why they inspire us is because they leave it all on the field. They leave it all on the court. They, they exhaust themselves. In many ways, they are spent. We could say the same now, moving from the secular and the, the, least, the less important, which is athletics, to the spiritual. We can say the same thing about all the missionaries in church history that we look up to. Look up to. There are missionaries that inspire us because they left it all on the line. They move their families or they go as individuals. They risk their lives. They make sacrifices. And literally, we can say they are spent 
They've exhausted all of their God-given resources, their natural abilities, their skills, and their spiritual gifts, all the resources God has given them, and all the resources that people have sent them with, that they're literally spent on the field. Why? Because they've been sent. And this morning, I want to remind us that we've all been sent, but some of us have not been spent. When I speak of spent, I'm not talking about burnout. That's a different sermon. I'm not talking about neglecting your physical body, your spiritual life, or your family for the sake of ministry. I'm not talking about ministry idolatry or missional idolatry. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about many of us are sitting in here today, and you're tired. You're exhausted. Now, if you've got trials going on, on in your life, that's one thing. But many of us are exhausted and tired, and we're sitting here, but, but we've spent our resources on different things in this world. We've been chasing our own personal goals and various different things that we want. How many of us can look to our Lord and Savior in light of the Great Commission and say, I'm literally spent because we've been sent, because I've been sent. And so I want to speak to you individually this morning on our 38th year anniversary as disciple makers. Have you literally exhausted Everything that God's given you, trusting that he will give you all the more if you obey his commission. And have we as a church looked at our financial resources and blessings, our facilities, and our ministries, and not just look at the in-reach aspect, but the outreach aspect, have we been spent trusting that God will take care of all the internal ministries and needs if we continue to look outward. Not just giving money to global missions, but we ourselves wanting to be spent as a local church because we've been sent. So both at the individual level and at the corporate level. Now I mentioned missionaries that we look to. And one that we all respect is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul literally saw his suffering as stewardship. He saw that literally we can look at the Apostle Paul and say Paul was spent. He put it all. He left it literally all on the field because he's been sent with a commission. Now I want to, to invite you to look with me at Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 is the passage I look to for motivation. When I'm feeling tired, when I'm feeling lazy, when I'm tempted to do something else other than focus on the mission, when I'm tempted to look outward, when, I, when I'm tempted to just go into my own, oh, Lord, I can't do this, I'm tired, I can't do this, I always look to Colossians 1.24 after I look at videos about number 24. Okay, I know that's wrong. I know it's wrong, but when I look at Kobe and he says, stay focused, right? I'm like, okay, you know, Lord, I'm looking at a secular source. I got to look to the man that I look to who looked to you, which is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is my hero. He is my favorite character in the Bible outside of Jesus Christ. Peter is third. So my, my Mount Rushmore is a little bit of, of Jesus, Paul, Peter, and then I add in like John Calvin, but Colossians 1.24, and what I want, want you to see from Colossians 1.24 is that the, there's a joyful sacrifice of being spent because we've been sent. Paul saw his sacrifice, his suffering, as a means of rejoicing because he saw it as stewardship. He was willing to be spent. He was willing to not leave anything on reserve. 
He trusted that the Lord would continue to provide more than he would ever ask or think because he knew that he was sent, not for himself, but for the mission and for his Messiah. Now I want you to recognize and read with me Colossians 1.24. Let me read it into your hearing. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, not for his own goals, not for his own platform, not because he's written the most books in the New Testament or the most letters, not for his own success, but for the success of the church, for the glory of Christ. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. I've been spent for your sake, and in my flesh, in my physical body, I am filling up I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now let me unpack the first part for you. It sounds very strange for anyone to rejoice in suffering. Paul's not sick in the mind, okay? He's not looking to suffer. He's not rejoicing at the suffering of other people. He's not rejoicing his own suffering. He's rejoicing in the circumstance that leads to his suffering. He's rejoicing in his circumstance because right now, as he was writing to the Colossians, he's in prison. And he rejoices in his imprisonment. As he writes, because he knows his imprisonment is for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the ministry of the church. And so he sees his suffering as for the glory of Christ and for these Colossians included. And so so he's rejoicing in his circumstance because he knows that his circumstance of suffering is a result of his commitment to his mission. So that's why he's rejoicing in his sufferings. And he says very clearly, for your sake. He embodies the gospel of the cross. It's substitution. right? He's suffering on behalf of of the Colossians, one of the churches that he ministered to. And in his flesh, he's not talking about his sinful flesh in this context. He's talking about in his physical body. Now, we know that Paul was constantly under heavy persecution. His life was continually being threatened. He was being thrown into jail, kicked out of towns for preaching the gospel. You look no further than the book of Acts to see all of these realities about Paul's life. People wanted to kill him. He had false teachers infiltrating and false prophets infiltrating the churches and trying to turn the local churches against him. He went through physical suffering, emotional turmoil, psychological suffering, yet he endured because he saw it all. He counted the cost. He saw it all as worth it for the sake of the cross. He says, for your sake. Now, the second part of the verse is confusing. Because he says, in my flesh, so in his physical body, in his physical work, in his ministry work, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. Now, what does he mean when he says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? First, let me tell you what Paul's not saying. Paul's not saying that there's anything lacking in terms of the atoning work of Christ we got to make that really clear. He makes that clear in the rest of Colossians. He is not saying that in his missionary work or in his suffering, he's adding anything to the merit of the cross or to the power or efficiency of the cross. He's not saying that there's anything lacking about Jesus' death on the cross, that it was somehow an unfinished work on the cross. Remember a couple weeks ago I said Jesus' work on the cross is finished or unfinished? It's finished. Paul's missionary work is unfinished or finished. So Paul saw his mission. He had an unfinished task to complete 
the mission of communicating the finished work. Okay, so he's not saying that Jesus' work is somehow unfinished and he needs to finish the work on the cross. He's talking about something entirely different. Paul's very clear that Jesus' cross, his work on the cross, his atoning sacrifice is fully sufficient to save every single person that Jesus died for. Now, what does he mean by filling up? Now, this phrase, when you put up the original language of filling up what is lacking, think of a gas tank. This, this phrase is measurable, meaning there's a beginning and there's an end. There's a limit. There's a, it can be contained. Okay, so when you think of a gas tank, you can fill it up. So there's anywhere from empty to, you know, half full or half empty, depending on if you're positive or negative. And then you go to the top, it's full. So he's saying that he, in his suffering, is filling up what is lacking in, for, for the work that Jesus finished. And we have to unpack that. What is he talking about exactly? It's something that's measurable. Now, what he means, I'll first tell you the answer, and then I'll show it to you. He's saying that Jesus died for the salvation of the church universal. Now, we don't know every person from every tongue, tribe, and nation. We don't know those individuals. God does. We don't know all the people who have yet to be saved, but Jesus knows who they are. And so every single believer that, is, that has come into Christ and into the fellowship of the Trinity, every person that's been saved into the church from, from the beginning of church all the way until Jesus comes back, that number is complete. There is a finished number, and only Jesus knows what that number is. Now, Paul, in his suffering, and he sees his life, he wants to be spent because he's been sent to play his leg to complete this number. Now, he knows he's not going to fill it all up. But in his suffering, he plays his part and runs his leg of the race to do his part in working towards completing that number. He knows that the unsaved elect are out there. So he just goes out there with confidence and preaches, knowing that the Holy Spirit will bring people to salvation. The church is not yet complete. The church is not yet done. There are billions and billions of people who we hope need to be saved and will still be saved. There's a number that will be complete one day, and there are missionaries all over the world suffering and sacrificing to help complete the church. Where When Jesus died, he died for all of these people, but he left the work of bringing the message to the nations and to our local communities to us through the Great Commission. That's what he's saying. Now, let me show you why we can understand it this way. In Philippians, Philosians, <laughs> a little bit of conflation there. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30, in verse 30, Paul uses the same construction. It's a little bit of a variation of the Greek word, but it's the same root, and it's the same construction, and it's the same understanding, and he uses it again in Corinthians, and I'll show you that. So there's only a few times that Paul uses this combination of words to fill up what is lacking, right? So first, Philippians 2, 25 to 26, let me read it to you. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Verse 27, 
by 28. Indeed, he was ill near death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am, more, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Verse 29 and 30. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Why? For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, here it is, to complete, to fill up what is lacking in your service to me. So Paul's using the same idea. Paul saw his own suffering as filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church. Paul's saying that Epaphroditus in his near-death sacrifice is filling up or completing what is lacking in your service to me. Now let me give you the background. During this time, Paul was in house arrest in captivity in Rome. And the people of the church of Philippi wanted to send love in the form of money, a love offering to Paul. And back then, there, were, there was no transportation like we have today. There's no wiring of money. There's no Venmo. Okay, there's nothing like that. So the only way to deliver money, so we support missionaries. Imagine if one of you, the head of the mission board or someone, we sent you on horseback or on boat or whatever it is to get from Philippi to Rome. That's quite a journey. You're exposed to the elements. It says here he got ill. So he got sick. You're exposed to robbers. You're carrying this money. You don't want people to know you're carrying all this money. Again, they're carrying literal money. And the Philippians, they're not rich. We know that, that they sacrificed. They were poor, yet they gave. And so this is a huge sacrifice for them. They're conveying love. And so they sent Epaphroditus on this journey to represent them, to deliver the money in person to Paul. So he's going on behalf of the church. Imagine that. <clears throat> and he nearly died. He nearly died in his service to Paul, in his service representing the church in Philippi. Now I want you to consider what's happening, right? What is lacking in terms of the Philippians' gift? There's nothing lacking. What's lacking? They gave sacrificially. Again, this is part of the Macedonian churches. The Philippians didn't have a lot of money. This is a great sacrifice. There's nothing lacking in their love for the Apostle Paul. So can one of you or some of you tell me what is lacking? What's lacking? Say it louder. Did someone say in person or Zoom? No. The only thing lacking was that all of the Philippians, it would be too dangerous. They, there's no way. The only thing lacking is that the Philippians couldn't be there in person to give the money to Paul and to exchange the love. That's the only thing that's lacking. There's nothing lacking in their intention, in their motive, in the money. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing, absolutely nothing lacking. The only thing lacking is that they couldn't be there in person. And remember, this is a Asian honor-shame culture. It's not individualism. It's not individualism. Epaphroditus wasn't all, it wasn't about himself. That's why Paul has to tell them, honor him, because he's not going to ask for any honor. Same thing with Paul. He's doing it on behalf of the church. He, so in an, in an honor-shame culture, Epaphroditus represented 
the church in Philippi by going on their behalf, substitutionary sacrifice. Paul represents Christ, but he's doing it on behalf of the churches, reflecting Christ. Now you go one more time. Let me show you another passage where Paul uses, there's only three places in the New Testament where we see anything close to the same type of construction in the Greek. Different words, but from Colossians 1.24, but same idea. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 17. Paul says, I rejoice. Right? I rejoice in my, in my, in my sufferings. But I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they've made up for your absence. The Greek word, the Greek phrase, made up for your absence, is similar to complete what is lacking. So what's lacking? There's nothing lacking. He's rejoicing because these three individuals are filling up, are completing, are making up the fact that the rest of the Corinthians could not be there. The situation is the same in Colossians 1.24, if we go back. The only thing lacking in Christ's afflictions is this. Christ died on the cross for many people to be saved, and there's a set number that only Christ knows. And then he goes into heaven, resurrects, ascends into heaven. He leaves the Great Commission for his disciples and for us. The only thing lacking is that Jesus is not here to bring and deliver the message of his suffering to the nations in person. He left that for us. Do you understand now what's lacking? The, the payment has already been paid in full. There are people out there in your communities who are already saved in the plan of God, but it's not yet come to fruition, meaning we call them unsaved elect, meaning God has planned to save them. We don't know who they are. They don't have a sign on their back saying, I'm, I'm about to be saved in 2024. So we just got to go out in confidence and preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit saves them. And this is called the ingathering of the church. So how does Jesus gather his church that he already died for? He gathers them through you and me. The only thing lacking is the going in person. That's what's lacking. There's nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. So Paul saw him being spent, him using every resources that God, every resource that God would give him, the money from the people, his own spiritual gifts, his testimony, and the daily provision of the Holy Spirit's power, physical power, spiritual power, he depended on all of that. And he was willing, he wasn't going to put anything on reserve. He was going to give it all, trusting that the Spirit would use him to complete the mission, to complete the mission. So the big idea of this morning's message is quite simple. Christ completes his church. How? Through the joyful sacrifice of everyday missionaries who are spent because we've been sent. Now, we all agree with this, that Christ completes his church through the joyful sacrifice of foreign missionaries. We agree. Christ completes his church through the sending of parachurch missionaries. Maybe you might even say through pastors but how many of you can look in the mirror and say, yes, the Great Commission has been given to me and I am on mission every single day? Christ completes the church through the joyful sacrifice of everyday missionaries who are spent 
because we've been sent. I want to give you some application. First, I'm going to start at the individual level. Then I'm going to move to the corporate level. Then take us home. First, individually, we need to ask, what mission field has God uniquely called you to in this season of life? And are you being spent for your own endeavors in this world? Again, I'm not talking about being irresponsible and not taking care of your family or working your job, right? But where are you spending your financial resources, your time, and your energy? Is it chasing after the various things of this world, including the success of your own children? Or are you willing to count the cost to say, and again, if you have cancer and you're dealing with cancer, God understands that, that, that you have things to deal with. So maybe you, in, in your time, you pray, right? Every single person has been given different resources, different God-given skills, and different spiritual gifts. Do you know what those spiritual gifts are? And where is your mission field? Where has God uniquely called you to for this season of life? A second question is what personal sacrifice? Because Paul saw stewardship. He saw his suffering. It was a cost. Now, now I will say that most of you in here, most of us will not be martyrs. So that's why originally I had in this sermon an illustration of a classic uh, missionary that I was going to share. And he suffered like crazy. And I knew right away that you guys would be inspired, but you would just walk away being, that's another sermon. We can't really relate to him because you're just not going to be killed that way. A lot of early missionaries that we look to, they died of disease too. And people are just living a lot longer now because of our insurance and our medical advancements and technology. So I want to hit you right at the heart. Maybe some of you write in the pocketbook. What do you idolize? What personal sacrifice do you need to make to be effective as an everyday missionary to your community, your workplace, your campus, your family? And are you keeping things on reserve? I'm not talking about being wise not being wise and not saving anything, I'm saying, are you holding back money as well? Spending it on buying more cars, enlarging your property, spending it on yourself. Again, I'm not saying don't be responsible. What are your needs? How has God blessed you? How are you using your ability to make money that God is, God, God could take away in a minute. You can get an accident, be handicapped, not work anymore. Right? God, God will take it away in a minute. You can get a disease that you're like, where did I get this from? And end up in the hospital. God will take it away in a minute. Do you see your own life as stewardship, even your ability to make money? Or do you think it's because you're so good and so successful? Do we look in the mirror? I'll make my own confessions too in a moment. How has God equipped you or prepared you to impact your place of calling for Christ? Are you being spent for the right things? Are you being spent? Can you go before the Lord and say, I am being spent because you've sent me with a great commission? Or, or are you exhausted and tired because you're chasing everything else in this world? My own confession is a lot of times I look at the internal needs of the church and I forget about the mission. I look at how we need more pastors to help with counseling. We need more operational staff. We, we're a growing church. God has blessed us. I look at the resources. I, I, I naturally, being here now, 20 years on staff, 17 years full-time, naturally, it's quicker for me to see all the problems rather than the blessings. It's easy for me to, to look at the internal issues and not remember the external outreach. But then I look at, man, Hanley, what are you doing with your time? Are you praying? 
Are you, are you looking at how there, this is a church full of people who have God-given gifts, skills, and even resources that if we can stay focused on the mission and the vision that we can actually go forward. There was, a, there was days where I feel guilty too, where I feel like, am I leaving it all in the field? I should be out there on the field. What are we doing here? Playing church. Year after year, oh, community groups, or get people to open up, or we do small group, okay, go visit people, marry, bury. And at the end of my life, God's going to be, what did you do? I ran a country club that loved Jesus. And, and, and sometimes I feel guilty that I minister to people that are very wealthy. Not all of you, but many people. I say, and, and then I'm reminded, well, Hanley, look how much God can do through us if we utilize our wealth, utilize our spiritual health for the sake of the kingdom. And I'm reminded. And God gives me that vision, right? So, so a lot of times I have to get out of myself and say, so why are you so tired? What are you so burdened about? The more and more we try to look internally, the more and more we realize, okay, we have to go outside the four walls. The more and more I feel guilty about not being on the field, I forget about the stewardship. And so God finally helped me to get out of myself. He says, you're looking at stewardship as yourself, your calling as a pastor, your calling as a preacher. I want you to think like Paul and start thinking about the church. You don't steward yourself. Start thinking about the hundreds of people in this church, the thousands of people in three congregations, and how we can go together, right? So rather than me saying, oh, I'm going to go on the field, and I feel guilty because we're just running programs. Instead, look at how you cannot feel guilty and feel your calling to steward every single person that comes in these four walls. Now let's move to the corporate. Here's where we're at. We've been praying for unbelievers to come. Every single Sunday. And there's a few of you in here. And I get to talk to you. And I'm so thankful. We're so thankful that you're here. But 99% of our growth has not just been believers from other churches, but mature believers. What is God telling us? There are people who are coming in our doors. Not the people, like we are praying for you, but we're praying that seekers would come. We should, right? But God is bringing us people who have been former leaders at your church. People with with God-given resources and spiritual gifts. What is God telling us? Now, we can just sit on that and, oh, let's run them into our programs. Oh, let's just keep going at it. Or, or, or we can say, okay, God, you know what? You're, you're, you're giving us sending capacity. You're giving us sending capacity. Not seating capacity, sending capacity, as J.D. Greer would say. You're, you're strengthening our church with more and more mature believers. We need to assimilate them. We need, to, we need to get them on board with the vision into membership and deployed, not just internally but externally. But I'm constantly focused on the internal needs. And I'm tempted to say, oh, we just need more help. When we take care of the counseling needs, when we take care of, when we have more open groups, then we'll church plan. And God's saying, no, 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 no. So I'm calling you now. You've heard it at prayer meeting. You, you're going to hear it again. We, we need a church plan. It's time. We're going to send, hopefully, 50 from Mandarin, 50 from the English. 
of, of, of people who live in a certain place closer to our target. And within the, by 2025, it's time. It's time. Okay? Which means there's gonna, we're going to lose some people. But God is filling in those reserves. There's not a lot of churches that have the facility, and, and I won't say too much because I'm recorded, and the financial stability that we're at. So we're looking at that too. And are we going to be willing to be spent and use those resources? Are we going to just keep building into ourselves? Or are we going to start looking at the community? That's why we were strong in Obria. That's why we've been strong on Child Evangelism Fellowship. That's why we've been strong on Decision Point, which, is a, which used to be National School Project, which empowers local church youth pastors to get onto various campuses to start campus ministries. That's why we're constantly pushing outreach, not because we don't recognize that we need more pastors to counsel people and that we need more inreach, not because we don't recognize that, but because we know that if we simply focus on the internal, we will die. We need to recognize what God has given us, what God is bringing into us, and recognize that we need to steward that. The other thing is that there's a lot of churches that we should be praying for, pastor friends that we should be praying for. We are one of the churches that are healthy, and we can't take that for granted. We are in this area, and we, we're just stating a fact. It's not, even, it's not a competition. We are the leading Chinese heritage church. Not just talk about size, but in terms of health and in terms of sending capacity. So my challenge to you, start with your individual life, because the church is made of individuals. Look, at, look in the mirror this week, as I always have to look in the mirror. We will continue to compel you with a vision. I can see in the next five years, there's going to be some of you who you're like, no, this church is not for me because the pastor is constantly challenging me to stretch. And you're going to go find some other church. But there's going to be people God brings in here that says, we've been waiting for a pastoral staff that challenges us to look in the mirror, look in our hearts, to look at our pocketbook, to look at our time, to look at our Google calendars or iCalendar and to, and to begin to feel like you're part of something bigger, right? Our goal as pastors is to constantly give you an application of the vision so that you know that you're being used by God, so that you feel and that you know that you are being used by God. Your resources, your time, your talents, your treasure are being used by God to advance His kingdom. And so that's why on our 38th anniversary, rather than celebrating and having cake and patting ourselves on the back, and we are thankful for all of our pioneers, we wanted you guys out there in the mission field. And so who cares if it rains? God reigns. Go encourage those missionaries. Give if you're able to. Give if you're able to. That's another thing. Every single time we ask you to give, by God's grace, and we never pressure you, Every time we ask you to give to Lottie Moon, I was so shocked. Me of little faith. I'm like, oh, we're barely going to make our goal. And you guys exceeded. Obria, we, we exceeded. In the coming years, I'm going to ask you, but we will show you all the facts, all the numbers. I'm going to ask you, for the, not everybody, but those who are not giving as much, maybe you're spending money elsewhere, I'm going to ask for those of you who are able to give to increase a little bit so that we can increase our pastoral staff so that we can continue to care internally while, while we push outward. Do you want to be part of a church that just looks inward and plays church? Or do you want to be part of a church where you know 
that the church and you are being spent because God has called us, all of us, to be sent. Now, some of you in here this morning, you might not know Jesus Christ. Before you realize you're sent, you have to realize who was sent for you. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross, rose from the grave. He's coming again. Everything in life, there's no purpose, there's no value. Every goal in life is meaningless apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul understood this. That's why the Apostle Paul was willing to put it all on the line, to be spent, because he's been sent, not just for the mission, but for the Messiah. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Messiah, as your Lord and Savior, I invite you this morning, everything else I said, it doesn't matter to you. You need to make a decision to respond to the gospel of Christ. And we want to help you. So if you're interested in receiving Christ, you go to the next steps table. Everybody else, go see the missionaries. But you come to the next steps table, which is the large table located out in the foyer area, out in the lobby, and come and talk to us. And we would love to tell you more about Jesus and help you to receive Christ and help you to take your next steps in following Jesus. FCBC Walnut, going forward in the next decade, two decades, let's be a church that's willing to be spent, willing to be spent wisely, but let's be even willing to use our financial resources, not leaving too much, just sitting there trusting that God will continue to fill up our reserves and he will continue to send us mature believers if, if we steward ourselves for his mission to be a vibrant church of disciple makers, driven by a passion for God's word, God's family, and God's world that seeks to reproduce vibrant churches locally and globally. And in our individual lives, as vibrant disciple makers, we want to be spent by loving passionately God and people, by living authentically discipleship, by giving generously, and by going courageously. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, thankful for 38 years of your goodness, 38 years, and we are at the precipice of you advancing us towards a greater call for this, this used-to-be tiny little church plant here in San Gabriel Valley, now FCBC Walnut. It's not about our church. It's not about us being great. It's about you being great, but it's about stewardship. It's about who you've called us to be for the sake of your mission. Father, turn our hearts to you now. Lord, I pray for anybody in here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would save them. I pray, Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, who are saved, that we would take seriously the call to steward what you've given us to be spent reasonably, wisely as stewards because we've been sent with the Great Commission. I pray for all the missionaries in here today and mission agency leaders that you would encourage them, let them know, remind them, not just through our people, but through your Holy Spirit of how important it is that they are out there and that they are representing the church universal. And Lord, I pray for our church that you would help us to keep our vision focused outward. And we trust you that you will continue to provide for all of our internal needs. Help us to have our hearts focused on you so that our eyes are set on you and your mission, just as it was for Paul. Fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church through our mission and ministry. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.